Good morning. Well, it, good morning. He kind of caught y'all sitting down and clapping at the same time. You weren't sure what to do. That was embarrassing, wasn't it? All right. Hey, it's great to see you folks this morning. Uh, I want to invite you to take your Bible. I hope you brought a copy of God's Word with you. We're going to turn to First Timothy, if you would, with, just, uh, with me just for a moment. Um, it's an exciting day and also a bit of a sad day for us. It's exciting. We know that we have uh, today, we have uh, Allie Coker is in the Philippines, and she'll be returning later on this week, and so she's been serving the Lord there, and we're excited about how you've been praying for her and sponsoring and supporting her. Uh, also, Jack Harlow made it to Costa Rica, and so he is in Costa Rica with a BSU group, and so we're excited for the mission work that's taking place this week. If you would continue to pray this week as those two young people are out serving the Lord, and uh, just excited to see the Lord calling people out. Uh, also, uh, uh, Miss Susie Holland uh, this morning, a bit of sad news is uh, her husband passed away suddenly this morning. And so pray for Susie Holland and the Holland family, uh, especially uh, this afternoon, this coming week. We'd appreciate you doing that. First uh, Timothy chapter two is where I'd like to invite you to turn with me if you don't mind. And uh, before we get into the sermon, we definitely want to uh, focus on what the scripture tells us. Uh, I know that this is always kind of a hot-button issue, and so let me dive right into a hot-button issue. Uh, I have a very specific political persuasion, and it's called theocracy. The concept for us as Christians, above any other priority, above any other party, is that we believe that God is ruler over all, and He therefore governs all things. And can I tell you, uh, He's the best at it. I mean, really, he is the best at it. And so we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we begin in verse 1. If you would just read along with me. This is not on the screen behind you. This is something that we're doing here as a special request. Uh, verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, First of all, <laughs> you got to love it. First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Perhaps you heard this week, uh, Franklin Graham issued an invitation to churches across our nation to join together specifically this Sunday and have prayer specifically for our leaders and even more specifically for our president. And so based on the teachings from 1 Timothy chapter 2, also from Romans 13, we want to make sure that we do exactly clearly what Paul says. We recognize, of course, in his day, in their culture, there was the king and all in high positions. And we have a slightly different structure, and we want to honor that we have a, a gentleman who has been elected by the people to lead our nation. And we pray for him and invite the Holy Spirit to work in his life and to lead him and to equip him, and especially those around him as well, that, that he would have an awareness of the presence of God, an awareness of the counsel of God in his decisions. And as God blesses him, that God would continue to bless the work that he does. 
So I want to invite you, we're going to pause just for a moment here in our worship time. If you're more comfortable, of course, our altar is open. We're going to have a prayer for our president. If you'd like to come and pray at the altar, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like to stay where you are, you're perfectly welcome to do that. But we want to have just a specific time where we want to intentionally lift up our leader of our nation. I'll give you a moment if you want to position yourself and prepare your heart as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you today and we thank you for the great privilege that you have granted to us to, uh, to live um, where you've planted us. And Lord, as we do so, we recognize that in our government structure that uh, you have brought it about, that there is uh, President Trump is leading us, that he holds the office of president, and Lord, we ask that your presence would be heavy with him, that you would work in him, through him, and around him, and that you would get glory through his presidency. God, we pray for his marriage. We pray that you would be honored through it. We pray for him as a parent, that he would just sense your leadership and your counsel as he fulfills the responsibilities of leading his family. Lord, in the many decisions that he has to face, Lord, we ask, would you intervene? Would you intervene? and guide him in the decisions that he makes. Lord, would you submit his heart and allow his heart to be open to the idea of bowing to you and submitting to you in every day, in every moment. And Lord, may he honor you in the things that he thinks, the things that he says, the things that he does. Let him see the value of just living for you and Lord, leading for you. Lord, we bring him before you and ask that your great blessing, your great power, your great ability would just be heavy upon him. And Lord, that those around him immediately and spread out through the world, that everyone that encounters him, God, is our prayer that they would see you through our president. Lord, we pray these things in your holy and righteous name. Amen. Thank you so much, folks. We appreciate you uh, joining with us. And again, we join with churches all across our nation as they pray for President Trump. And we want to make sure that we're faithful to the teachings of 1 Timothy, especially chapter 2. I'll invite you now, if you would, we want to uh, continue our series in Ecclesiastes. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. We've made it all the way through and. About a month, we've got all the way through to chapter 3, all right? So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, this is actually uh, one of my favorite chapters in Ecclesiastes. If I had to pick a favorite chapter, I love the teaching, and this is going to be familiar for many of you. So I invite you to find your place in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to pick up uh, in chapter 3, verses 1, and we're going to read all the way verses 1 through 15. And I want you to think as we... We go through, um, just reading the text this morning, the first eight verses are going to focus on appointments. Appointments. 
And I was thinking about appointments. You know, appointments, as you look it up in the dictionary, the number one way that appointments is, uh, would be defined, it, it's basically that two parties agree to meet at a certain time, right? That's not technically how professional appointments seem to work for me. Sometimes I'm agreeing to be there at a certain time, and then they're agreeing to see me whenever they get ready, right? So uh, we think a lot about appointments, and what I invite you to consider today is the, a very simple concept is that uh, there's so much of life, uh, the, the appointments of life, that are beyond us. And when I say beyond us, uh, I mean literally it's not things that we can control, but the things that happen in our lives, the appointments that we seem to get wrapped up in, sometimes they just don't work out in any kind of way like we want them to. Sometimes we want really good appointments. And in fact, I'd say all the time, I like to have just really good appointments. I go, I meet, things happen, it benefits me. Sometimes life doesn't treat us that way. And I think you'll find that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you're joining with us for the first time, welcome. And as we're preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, it's my intention, my desire to do exactly that. We want to take the 15 verses and we want to chop up the 15 verses in such a way where we think about what God was originally saying. We've seen that Ecclesiastes is a very honest, real picture of what life looks like. So let's take a look at this. If you join with me, thinking about the appointments that life offers Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, the preacher, the author, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, he writes, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So he's observing this, watching life, studying life, and it seems as I'm reading this that he said, hey, as I'm looking at how life works, I see that there are appointments that happen. There's a time for this and a time for that. He begins by talking about, I think, big events. Verse 2, he says there's a time to be born. You think about that, a big event in our life. And how many of us planned that time? We planned that time. I, I, I wanted to be born in July. I thought that would be a cool month. I was wrong. And here's the idea. That's a big event that happens to us. We had our daughter, Sadie Claire, and we... We had a plan, and she has a, actually, it's a December birthday, right? And so she showed up November 17th. And we're like, whoa, chill out, way too soon, right? And no one even asked us. They just said, she's coming. I remember them saying, she's coming. And I said, no, she's not. Yeah, she's coming. We don't have control over big events like this. Verse 2, a time to plant, and there's also a time to pluck up what is planted. He talks about then the alternating uh, or the altering events. He says there's a time to kill, and then he compares that. He says there's a time to heal. There's a time to break down, and there's a time to build up. Life is made up of times like this. It's sometimes we need to tear down things, and sometimes we need to build up things. If we ever build up something and we refuse to tear it down, when it's time for it to come down, that's bad. That doesn't work well for us. He moves on, verse 4. He talks about the emotions of life and the appointments of emotions, if you will. He says there's a time to weep, which is something we would do privately. He says there's a time also to laugh. You know, we, we sometimes laugh at things, and we don't even tell anybody about it, but there's little things that make us laugh. So it's a private emotional event. 
public emotional events, he says there's a time to mourn. We gather together and we recognize a loss. And we have no control over when that happens, but it's a public emotional event. He says there's a time to dance. And you say, well, I dance by myself. I need to dance by myself too because it's ugly. But the idea here is this, is that's usually a public celebration of emotions. And there are times in life, can you get it, where we would say, hey, I have so much joy inside of me. I just want to gather together with some friends and I want to dance. I want to, I want to celebrate. And then we say, well, there's some times in life that we gather together and we just mourn. He goes on, if you're at verse 5. Verse 5, he talks about, I think this is about relational events. This is kind of one of the more controversial verses. He says there's a, a time to cast away stones and there's a time to gather stones together. And so that might have a farming reference where if you want bad things to happen to your neighbor, you might throw rocks in their garden perhaps. I hope you wouldn't do something like that. And there's also a time to pick up rocks together perhaps. And he said there's a time to embrace there's also a time to refrain from embracing, like the Walmart checkout line comes to mind. Just, just FYI, if you're ever standing in front of me, 20 items or less. He goes on, he says in verse 6, there's a time to seek. There's a time to lose. There's a time to keep and a time to cast away. And I know in our family, uh, lately we've been doing, I guess you would call it spring cleaning in some ways. You guys ever pull out a memory box and you can't remember what those things were? Has that ever happened y'all? Just me? Where you just pull out a little, oh, it's a keepsake, and this was so, so special. I have no idea. Maybe it's a picture, and you look at that picture and say, wow, I, I don't know any of those people. You ever do that? I do that sometimes. And he talks about this is life. Life is filled with these moments, these appointments, and these are things that we sometimes, you know, often just don't have any control over. I think then he kind of bookends it. He says in verse 7, there's a time to tear and there's a time to sow. There's a time to keep silence, praise God, and there's a time to speak. There's a time to love and there's a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And so you're familiar perhaps, I think maybe five or six of you would remember the birds took this passage from Ecclesiastes and this is actually a famous passage from Ecclesiastes this is uh, the, the bird song, Turn, Turn, Turn. This is one of the only songs with biblical lyrics that have held a position at number one for a long period of time. So we, we read this and, and we, we, we kind of we celebrate about half of it. Could I say that? There's, a, there's about half of that is really good stuff. There's a time to be born. Woo! But then he hits, there's a time to die as well. And that's not something we get really excited about. But. There's a time to sow and to tear, and there's a time for good things and bad things. And this is a very real picture of what your life should look like. And I was challenged by this as I reflected on this passage this week. You know, I've bought into this concept that there should be, since there's a this and then a this, there's a positive and there's a negative, I kind of have bought into this concept that all of life balances out in the end that we have an equal number of good things and an equal number of bad things. And I'm hit with this reality. That's just not true. That's just not promised to us. There's nowhere that we would find in Scripture that would indicate to us, hey, listen, for every bad thing that happens to you, there's going to be two good things that balance it out. No. No, sometimes, and maybe for you today, as you sit in here, you're saying, wow, 
I'm really in one of those lives, it seems like, where it's just trial and tribulation and difficulty and, and diagnosis and hardship over and over and over and over again. And now I'm getting in, on in my years, and so now I'm wondering when all that good's going to just catch up with me, right? It's going to be a, a great year some year. The idea for us, I think that the author of Ecclesiastes, as he's been studying and searching for the meaning of life, he would sum it up to say, life, number one, is often hard. It's hard. And as life is hard, maybe this is good for you, maybe this is bad, it keeps moving. And all these appointments keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. You say, I'm tired, I'm worn out. They keep coming, they keep coming. I can't take any more. And that's usually when they keep coming. You ever notice that? Life is constantly in motion. And life is filled with these appointments that we encounter. This very week, can I tell you, we will encounter some, I hope, good things. I would hope that for you, good things. But also we know this, that we will possibly encounter some appointments that really just hit us hard. And there are things that scare us, and there are things that make us tired. There are things that make us weary. And so as we live life, here's what we have to look forward to, according to the preacher from Ecclesiastes. He says, hey, don't worry, Monday's coming. And on Monday, you're going to have appointments, both maybe good and bad. But then once you make it through Monday, you're going to get to have as a celebration a reward for you. If God so sees fit to bless, you might have Tuesday. And Tuesday's going to move right on through. And it's going to be this and this, maybe good, maybe bad. It's going to be positive, maybe negative. And then there, hey, if you make it through Tuesday, you know what you got to look forward to? Wednesday. That's life. That's life. And so as we see this very real picture I think what the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to say here is this. Life's in motion, and you don't motion it. Life's in motion, and you don't move it. Life's in motion, and it's keep, it keeps happening not because of you, as we sometimes in our culture are, are, are confused to believe. Well, when I wake up, the sun comes up. No, 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 no. Apparently, if I sleep in, the sun comes up anyway. So the idea is, very simply, we are small. We're small. We're small in the great scheme of things. I have very little, if any, control over when someone is born or when someone dies. I have very little control over the things that happen to me. I have very little control over that. And can I just confess to you, just to get it out, that kind of drives me nuts. You remember that time I wanted that surgery? No, never. That time on Saturday when we were out of those essential things and we had to go into the supermarket? No, I don't want to. I hate that. I don't want those things to happen. And I have very little control over, I'm finding, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. And so as I live life, we would say, and listen, the, the, the view of Ecclesiastes, you're going to either come out of it as an optimist, everything's going to be all right, or a pessimist, man, this stinks. Now, this is the picture that he paints, and he says, not, hey, I want to cater to you. He's not trying to sell a book. He's already in the best book that's ever been written, right? He just wants you to know the truth of this 
life keeps happening, you and I, we're not as big as we sometimes want to be. We're not as big as we sometimes feel like we should be. We sometimes feel like we want to be bigger so that we can put a stop to this. Or we want to be bigger so that we can enjoy this time more. And here's the idea. Sometimes we're hanging on. I don't know if that's you today or not. But sometimes in life, it really seems as small people who have little control, we're just kind of hanging on. Now, let me show you how to hang on. Here's what happens. The Scripture tells us this in verse 9. And I think 9 is kind of a hinge for us. Verse 9 tells us this. He asks this question again. What gain has the worker from his toil? And remember what we've seen so far in chapters 1 and 2. He's touched on the meaninglessness of work. And he said, here's the idea. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go to work. And then when I die, remember last week we said the good news is, after I make whatever I make, build whatever I build, have my success, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to leave that to someone who might just be an absolute fool. That's what we do. That's how life works because there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time to plant and there's a time to pluck up that which is planted. This is the reality of life. So he asks this question, I think again as a hinge, and he says, what gain has the worker from his toil? He wants you to think about this. What are you accomplishing? What are you really accomplishing? What are you really accomplishing with all the things that you're seeking and pursuing and going after? Say, I want to buy this. Well, I can tell you, he says this. He says there's a time to seek, but there's also a time to lose. And we would kind of paraphrase that. There's a time to buy new, and there's a time to, to dump rusty. Not the person, but ru rusty things. Right? Okay, sorry about that. That got personal fast. What gain has the worker from his toil? You and I are living life. We're small in it. And it's church. Hear me. You know, so so I've I got to find another church to go to. That's what many of you are thinking. Here's the idea. You must embrace a new level of thinking if you want to think biblically. You see, the world is telling you that you are the most important person in all of the world. Can I tell you? You're very small in the great scheme of controlling the universe. You're very, very, I'm very, 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 very small. I can control very few things. What gain has the worker from his toil? Now, here's what we get into then, and I want to give you some bees, if you don't mind. This is going to have a bee theme to it, I think. I don't know if he meant it this way, but here's what I got out of it, all right? I want to talk to you about Who's big? I want to talk to you about, about a God, actually, who is big. And he is, you know, it's a very simple concept, he is bigger than you. Now, if you can get on board with that and you can say, hey, I, I, I'm at least with you so far on that, that God is bigger than I am, can I get you to, you know, let's just get an expression, and let's not do the traditional stuff, pork child, we, we call for amens, but I get tired of doing that, and it's, hurts my ego when you don't so so let's do this say yep can you do a yep if you would agree that god is bigger than you can you just give me a yep some of you very good here's what i would say god's bigger than me 
I mean, and I want you to think about this. Don't just let this be religious jargon that we just kind of spew out here today, but we want to allow this to saturate our hearts. There is a God who does exist. He is living and he is active and he is larger than me. Now, if we've got that down, let's talk about some B ideas. You ready? The Lord of our life tells us this. Verse 10. The author writes, the preacher writes, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Now, I want you to understand the authority that's in that verse, in verse 10. Do you see it with me? It does not say that I choose my business, that I get to go out and I get to say, well, I'm going to go and find me a job, and I'm going to make me some money, and I'm going to work me a job, and I'm going to save my money, and I'm going to buy me some stuff. It says actually this idea. It says that the business that I have been given has been assigned to me. Did you catch that in verse 10? Now look at it with me again. Verse 10, the business that I have in my life right now, the work that I do is not something that I'm big enough to choose. It's something I'm small enough to receive. And that's all I got some days. Here's what he says, see it again, verse 10. I have seen, what he's observed, the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And if I would understand this, is God bigger than you? Y'all completely missed that whole concept we were working on earlier. Here's the idea. If you believe God's bigger than you, you just simply say, yep. So if God is bigger than you, then the concept becomes this. Maybe the job that you have, maybe you didn't pick it. Maybe you didn't earn it. And maybe you don't deserve it. But what if instead, if there's a big God and you're a little person in the whole great scheme of what God is doing, what if God has assigned you the career that you have? You say, well, that's okay. No, 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 no. That's more than okay. What that means here is this. There's a God who cares enough about me to give me certain skills, certain desires, certain abilities that do not come from me independently. But God has been working in my life to do the very specific things of giving me desire. And I got to tell you, I don't have career without desire. I don't have education without desire. But what if the business that I find myself wrapped up in is not something that I actually generated for myself, that I actually said, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get me an education and I'm going to get me this job and I'm going to start raking into cash, all right? Still waiting for that. School teachers be like, what? What are you talking about? I have no idea. It's a completely different language for you guys. It's a different sermon. But here's the idea. What if God, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull the, the idea from Jeremiah here, what if before I actually stepped into this earth and took my first breath, but what if since I was an actual being in my mother's womb, what if when I was in my mother's womb, my big God poured into me desire, ambition, ability, pursuit, and what if he did that what if he said, I want you to grow up and be this? You remember that as your kid? It's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you, I'm curious, who wanted to be an astronaut? That used to be a big one. 
astronauts, who wanted to be when you were a kid? Not now. Maybe, I don't want to crush dreams. But how many of you wanted to be an astronaut when you grew up? Nobody. Is that weird? Or you're ashamed because you're like the only one. How many of you wanted to be a police person? Policeman, thank you, policeman. No? <laughs> policeman. Policeman, all right? I want to be a policeman, right? That was the whole gun concept. Yeah, yeah. See, here's the idea. How did you get into this career that you're in? And you would look and you would say, well, you know, I mean, that's the story, Brother Casey, and we're going to have to go back. And then when I was in high school, I didn't want to study this, but I wanted to study this. Where does that come from? Do you see God orchestrating his plan in your life from your childhood? Is that possible that God has been bigger in your life than you give him credit for being? The concept here is this. The business that we have been given, that implies God has assigned to me, assigned to me a specific business. Now, if he gave me that, I just want you to think about this. We're going to come to it in just a second, but I want you to go ahead and think about it, all right? And I'm not working my job in my own ability and strength. But I'm working my job in the ability and strength that God has placed inside of me. And I want to tell you, that changed your Monday if you wrap your mind around that pretty good. He says there's the business that has been assigned to us. God has given you a task. Now, join me back, verse 11. Verse 11 is the key verse. We finally made it all the way. Verse 11, here we go. Verse 11, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And I know you would think with me, if I'm reading this devotionally, I would say, mm, I can think of some ugly stuff. I've been through some ugly stuff. Been through it. Oh, by the way, I don't know why this popped in my head. Business conferences next Sunday, you guys don't forget. I don't know why this popped in my head. But I've been through some ugly stuff. All right? Some ugly stuff. And what I would tell you, small me, has tried to control the ugly in my life. But now here we have the preacher, the wisest man that's ever walked the face of the earth, apparently, and, and what he's telling us here is this. He says in verse 11, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Man, we need to spend some time here. You ready? What if the chance in your life was really a big God? What if the tragedy in your life were really somehow a big God? And now you say, if you're anything like me, I wrestle with that. And what I would submit to you is this concept. Let's see if we can work through this just a little bit. What about sin? Right? What about sin? And one of the greatest verses, if you'll turn there with me, all right? All right just, just turn with me here just for a second. This isn't part of the notes, but I want to ask you to turn back to Genesis, all right? Back to Genesis. And if you read in Genesis chapter uh, 50, all right? Genesis chapter 50, all right? 
Those of you on your tablets, please flick it over. All right, everybody else, take a Bible. All right, Genesis chapter 50. And I want to show you a verse that's changed my life, that's radically impacted my life. When you look at the Old Testament character of Joseph, in Genesis, what you find here is this. His brothers were constantly trying to beat him up or kill him. And you say, well, I got siblings, I know what that's like. Well, yeah, but they were literally trying to kill him right? And so Joseph, if you track this in Genesis, man, he has got appointment, appointment, appointment. That seems like trouble, trouble, trouble. He's thrown into prison. That's an appointment. He then has the opportunity to interpret a dream. That's an appointment. And then he's forgotten for his ability to interpret a dream for a time. That's an appointment. All those things outside of his control, He's working in Potiphar's house, you remember? He's working in Potiphar's house. He has that job because that's his business that God has given him. He's doing his business well, by the way. He's doing his business well. And as he's doing his business well, I want you to catch this. It's Potiphar's wife who sins and tries to seduce him outside of his control, right? Dude runs out of his jacket. If I remember that correctly, right? Runs out of his jacket. That's an appointment. You say, well... She was right there, and I was right here, and I was getting out of there. So the, the concept here is this. Joseph's life has been filled with hardship. Good opportunity. Hardship. That's some good opportunity. Hardship. And then God brings him to be second in command of all of Egypt at the same time, by chance. There's a 14-year famine coming. So the man who's been given the ability to interpret the dreams then becomes the savior of not only Egypt, but all the surrounding land, including what we would say Israel. Genesis 50, 20, he meets and confronts his brothers at the end. And in Genesis 50, 20, this verse just jumps out at me this morning. It's in my heart. Joseph says to his brothers, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me. That's your sin. You were trying to sin against me. And that impacted his life drastically in many ways. But catch this, there's one of those two key words in the Bible. But God meant it for good. You ever wrestle with that stuff? Here's the simple idea. You have to wrestle with, with me, all right? We have to come to some kind of understanding theologically. Here's what it looks like. There's going to be at times, these appointments that you have are going to be caused because of sin. Right there. And it's either going to be your sin or maybe it's going to be somebody's sin against you. And you're going to say, man, my sin, oh, this is ugly and this has messed things up and I lost my job and I lost my family. That's your sin. I get that. Or maybe you would say, well, somebody else's sin and it sinned against me and they did this to me and I was righteous. I didn't do anything wrong, but they sinned against me. And I get that. That's one of the appointments that's going to happen in our lives sometimes because it's not just that you're sinful, but it's that everybody in the room sitting around you is sinful. Yeah? You don't believe that? I think immediately. You ever been to Atlanta during rush hour? I'm thinking, man, I'm holy and righteous. Thank you, Jesus. And I just want to live for you and honor you. And everybody around me, man, they go, oh, whew, those people. I don't know where they're going, but it's, it's going to be hot. Now, here's the idea. The concept, all right? Here's sin. Where's God? Here's sin in your life. That impacts appointments in your life. Now, where's God? So you've got to put God one of three places. One, God's down here, and he's under sin, and he's going, oh, I can't do anything about that. 
I said, just, I didn't even see that one coming either, man. I just blindsided me. That could be your theological incorrect view if you want it to be. I'm not trying to tell you how to believe. I'm just trying to tell you that's wrong. Maybe you see God's right here parallel with it. And God's just then indifferent. I see it happening. I can do something about it. Hmm. Why would I? And that is a unloving, apathetic, lazy God. That's not the picture of the Bible. So your third possible position is this, is that sin impacting your life, that God somehow, and I can't always explain it in every situation, but God somehow is still God, and He's still ruler, and He still reigns over it. And so what God did in this, in this position, this situation is this, is that He knew your sin was going to cause sin appointments for you. And ultimately, that sin appointment, Hebrews 9.27 says this, it is appointed to man, it is appointed to man that he shall die and then face judgment. That is a sin appointment that you have. And God is sovereign over that. He rules over that. And here's what God would say to you. You ready? God would say this, that in your sinfulness, He has overcome your sinfulness. He's not made your life easy. And You know, I just, yeah, I just want five Mercedes. Well, shut up! Here's the idea. God rules over your sinfulness, but even better news than that, God rules over the sinfulness of everyone around you. Can you wrap your mind around that? You're small. I'm small. My God's big i got people trying to attack me. Let me tell you something. They might get at me. They won't get at my God. Because what my God did in His appointed plan, He, with me and my sin appointments, He sent His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has come. And Jesus Christ has died for all sin. And whoever would put their faith in Jesus, then therefore still has to wrestle with the sin that's the fleshly nature that's inside of us that needs to die and be crucified. Still needs to wrestle with the sin of the world that's around us, the sin of the people that are around us. But let me tell you something. He has made life beautiful for me because my sin will not win. My sin's been destroyed. And so the sinful moments where I encounter my flesh, the sinful moments where I encounter the attacks of other people against me, the sinfulness of other people against me, can I tell you, I'm set free from that in Jesus Christ. I'm set free from that in Jesus Christ. And what that means for us is this, is that He has made all things beautiful. All things are going to be beautiful in its time. You see, in this world, I will struggle. But because of the beauty of Jesus Christ, I'm not staying here forever. This just isn't even my home. You ever experienced beauty like that? You ever experienced beauty like that? Where you say, man, my job stinks. You know what? As your spiritual advisor, I want to counsel you. You're probably right. It probably does. And I'm going to go ahead and give you some counsel. You know what probably makes it bad? It's probably your boss or your co-workers or you. <clears throat> Why do you place God in that? 
you place God looking at your every other day and saying, eh, I don't care. Or, oh, I can't do anything about it. Or do you see that even in the darkness of what seems to be an overwhelming power of sin in this world, can you see light? Because that's what Jesus came to be for us. Now, here's what we say. Back in Ecclesiastes, and y'all got me sidetracked. Back in Ecclesiastes, back in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we see the beauty. We see the beautiful, <laughs> what God has made beautiful. Verse 12, and I want to be mindful of my time. Excuse me, verse 11 still. He says, also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So we talk about the big idea, and here's the big idea for you, is that God has made you aware that you are small. That's good. Because once you become aware of how small you are, you'll stop trying to be so stinking big. And when you stop trying to be so stinking big, the big idea for you is that there is an awareness that's been placed inside of every individual. You need a God that's bigger than your best day. You need Him. You long for Him. You desire Him. You might be pursuing Him in the wrong kind of ways, but that's ultimately the fulfillment that's offered for you. The big idea is that you were created to worship God. You're created to live for Him. Then we get to the blessing, verses 12 and 13, and we're done. You ready? It says this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, <laughs> nothing better for them than, oh, there it is, to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. So amongst the four B's, I'm going to throw two P's at you. All right, ready? Our conclusion today is this. One, life is a privilege. If you're not dead, you're welcome, is what God would say to you. And church, think about this for a second. And we said, well, and I've heard this pork chop several times, right? You've heard a preacher say this. Well, how many of you would uh, rather be uh, in a hospital bed than, than here today. I'm always wondering, like, how that rates. You know, so, uh, hospital bed sounded pretty good, Pastor. No, let me pitch one to you. You ready? How many of you would rather be dead than alive? If you woke up this morning, thank you, Jesus. If you were able to roll out of bed or be scooped out of bed, thank you, Jesus. You have life inside of you and you didn't make that happen so i've been taking care of myself you're not doing great <clears throat> you're not doing that great the concept here is this is that life is a privilege from a god who loves us he wants you to be alive he wants you to be alive today can you wrap your mind around that open your heart to that concept God wants you to be alive today. Now, what we'd also say here is this. Since he wants you to be alive, the biblical instruction, live. Church, Christian, quit acting so daggum dead. It is not only unattractive. It's just downright confusing that you profess to be alive because of the grace of the Savior who lives inside of you and you are so constantly miserable all the time. Would you stop living dead and start living alive? This is the invitation from Ecclesiastes. Life is a privilege. 
live. Here's some ideas. He says this. Be joyful. Be joyful. I'm alive. I should be joyful. I should have joy in the life that I'm living. Why? Because Jesus came to give me life. He didn't come to give me death. He came to free me from my sin. These sin appointments are not going to rule and reign over me, but everything's been made beautiful in this time. I'm about the business of God, so I'm going to be joyful in what I do. Second, do good. Do good. You're, you know, listen, none of us should receive joy by harming other people. Just logically, what he presents here is this, folks. Logically, if you will treat others good, then you will find life. That's kind of how it's supposed to work, by the way. You say, well, I'm going to retaliate. There's no life in that. There's no living in that. That's wrapped up in a death concept. Live by doing good. It says this, enjoy life. He says, eat and drink. Did y'all do that? That was the assignment from last week. Did somebody go out and enjoy food this past week? I got a new kind of sushi this week. Ooh, I got a new kind of sushi this week. Man, you can't beat that stuff. I don't know what's in that. Don't want to. Man, golly. But the right, enough sauce makes everything good. Enjoy life. And then he also says this. He lays this on you. Enjoy your work. Because the work that you're doing that seems tiresome and, and, and just meaningless, it was assigned to you from God. So just enjoy pleasing Him through it. Also, there's the purpose that you see, and that means that we don't just live, but we live intentionally. He tells us that Jesus came to be our Lord. So look at this, and, and this is where we wrap up. Verse 14 says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it. Woo! So that people fear before him. And we're scared of the word fear, ironically. Here's what it means. It means that we are supposed to live with this awareness he is big. And not only is he big, can I lay this on you? He's big enough for any appointment that you might have this week. He is big enough for any appointment that might come your way this week, for any curveball, for any unexpectancy, for any celebration. He's big enough to be God over it. And he has provided that appointment for you to live in the moment. He has provided that so that you would see him and know him and understand that he has a plan. and He's allowed this in your life. So all of this, it says, verse 15, Verse 15, that which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. That's weird language. Here's what he basically says. God is not going to change. God is not going to lose control. God is not going to start loving you more or stop loving you as much as he does. He loves you already at this moment perfectly and you can't improve on that trust him this week trust him as you encounter unexpected things trust him as you encounter hardship trust him as you're trying to control your marriage and fix your marriage stop that trust him trust him lay it at his feet and say god here's where i'm small and when we do this church what Jesus teaches us and shows us when we in obedience would just lay down in front of God our lives and be small, then you're going to see a big God show up and do things that only a big God can do. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we come to you today, thank you for the word from Ecclesiastes. We pray that as we go out, that we would go out and live 
intentionally. That we would live on purpose. That we would live seeing that life is a gift, it's a privilege for us. But as we are living this gift, as we're living this gift, that doesn't give us an excuse to go out and be fools. That doesn't give us an excuse to go out and treat people however we want to or act however we want to or even dress however we want to. God, we are yours. We want to be wrapped up in living our best life. We want to be wrapped up in living that best life. But what that means, that's not for us. No, 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 no. We're living intentionally for you. Let our faith grow today, God. Let our faith grow this week, God, as we encounter appointments. Let our faith grow knowing that you are reigning over it all. And it's these things we pray in your holy name. This morning as we begin to conclude our service with worship time, what we invite you to do if you're visiting with us or maybe you're not familiar with how things would work here, here's what we would say to you. The clearest message this morning is this. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. If there's never been a time in your life when someone's talked to you about what it means to live for Jesus intentionally, to forsake yourself and to quit being so bombarded with the sin of the world and the sin of your life, we'd love to talk to you about having freedom. So we're here at the front. I'll be here at the front. Brother Porkchop's here at the front. If we can talk to you today, we would love to talk to you about the importance of knowing Jesus. But if you're already a Christian, can I invite you? The challenge for today is this, is that you would grow in your ability to trust that God is big. He's bigger than you are. Whatever situation you bring today, don't leave with it. Bring it to Him. Would you do that as we worship together?